Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're in a series about, of all things, politics. Uh, called Talking Points. This week's talking about choosing sides. Uh, just a heads up, um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper communion, if you want to call it that. Uh, to close our service this morning, there's elements in the back. When we get to the end of the service, we'll give you an opportunity to uh, get those elements for yourself, serve yourself. Folks at home, uh, please, between now and then, uh, set yourself up with uh, whatever you, elements you might have there. <clears throat> so, we started a series last week, and reality, church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Uh, we don't talk about politics usually, but we should be able to talk about anything, correct? And some reason, one reason maybe that people aren't more interested in Christianity is because we don't come across that way, that this is a safe place to talk about anything. And we also talked about last week that there's a tension between what's going on with our, in the world anytime and our uh, religious beliefs, our Christianity. So I challenged you last week with this statement. Are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Meaning, are we going to look at things through Jesus' eyes, if you will, first and foremost, rather than through uh, Democrat or Republican or whatever it might be? And there will be a gap. Because there's no Jesus party. So there will be a gap between our religious beliefs, theological beliefs, and the political realm. It just will be. As we talked about last week, one of the last things Jesus did, he made a prayer request of God, and that prayer request was this, that you and I, Jesus followers, if you're not, uh, this might be one of the reasons you're not, we're glad that you're joining us, but for Jesus followers, that we be unified, that unity be more important than our political beliefs, or anything else, actually. So we summed it up this week, last week this way. <clears throat> disagree politically. Uh, you get enough people together, they're going to disagree politically. Love unconditionally. Whatever the political beliefs are, you just love unconditionally and pray for unity. It's interesting, even in Jesus' day, everybody wanted Jesus on, his, on their side. Uh, the temple wanted him on their side originally when they figured out that couldn't happen. <laughs> then, of course, they went out of their way to kill Jesus. Uh, the Roman Empire did the same thing. Uh, the common Jewish people were behind Jesus up until the end. And uh, there were some revolutionaries that wanted Jesus to overthrow the room. So everybody wanted Jesus on their side. Well, it's no different today. Both political parties claim Jesus. Both presidential candidates went to church last Sunday. I assume they go this, this Sunday too. Um, both of them probably use the same scripture passages to defend their political stance or beliefs, etc. So it's no different today. In fact, if you were to challenge me and say, Pastor, I want you to preach a red quote-unquote sermon, I could do that. I think I could be pretty convincing. Or, Pastor, I want you to preach a blue sermon. I think I could do that, and I'd be pretty convincing. Uh, but that's not my goal, <laughs> and nobody's asked me to do that anyway. Good. <clears throat> but isn't it amazing how often Jesus happens to agree with you? I'm being a little facetious, of course. Um, we just think, assume he does, right? I'm a Jesus follower. I believe this way, so Jesus kind of believes that way too. But no, 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 it's getting, that's getting it backwards. <laughs> uh, we need to look at everything, but in this case, politics, through Jesus' eyes first. So, 
I love what Tony Evans, pastor in Texas, said. I used this quote before. Jesus didn't come to take sides. <laughs> he came to take over. And so if you're a Jesus follower, he's taken over your life. You've given your life to him. And so he talked about a kingdom. He talked about the kingdom of God, which is different than this earthly kingdom, any earthly kingdom. In fact, it was almost upside down because the, the leaders in the kingdom of God serve the people under them, not like it works in a, a natural earthly kingdom. Um, in fact, Jesus, the head of Christianity, died for all of us as our leader. So the kingdom of God operates under different principles and, and ideals than any kingdom on earth. In fact, I, uh, you can print this out ahead of time if you like. Uh, we have notes. We used to call bulletins. Uh, we're still not giving them out, um, <clears throat> but they're on our website. The kingdom of God will always at some level conflict with the kingdom of men. They just will. There's some things in, in, in this world that dis disagree with um, God's principles. And so if you're a Jesus follower, it is absolutely 100% silly, foolish, dumb to be divided over those issues because what we have in common in God's kingdom. Now, of course, the question is, where's the line? Where's the line between being a Jesus follower and being a political person? And we all should be political. We live in a country where we get the opportunity to vote, and I hope you do. But where's the line? Well, we're going to look at a phrase G, uh, Paul used. It only shows up twice in the New Testament that um, I think is a good benchmark or, or foundational place to start when you're trying to figure out where the line is on political issues in particular. Now, Paul calls it the law of Christ, the law of Christ. I believe it is Paul's way of describing what Jesus called his new covenant command. And we looked at that last week. We'll quickly read it again. Again, last night of his life, he's telling his disciples what's really important. He said, I give you a new commandment, love one another. That's not the new part. The new part was the next part. <clears throat> Just as I have loved you. Wow. Most of us know the golden rule. <laughs> Treat others as you want them to treat you. But this is, this is up in it. I call it the platinum rule uh, because this is way above just how you want to be treated. You're treating people the way God treated you in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the way we should love each other. He even made a stronger case for it. He said, this is the way, this is the proof that the world would know you're my disciples. Not because you show up in a church building or watch it online, read your Bible, pray, all the good stuff. But, if you love one another. So this is a, a, a two-way thing. Uh, the way God loves us, we are to love, I'm to love you. And the way I love, or God loves you is the way you're supposed to love me. So it's two-way. So we're going to look at the two times that Paul used this phrase, this term. Uh, <clears throat> first is in a, a letter called, uh, we call it 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you think the church today has troubles, if you ever read Corinthian letters, they had all kinds of problems, things you can't even imagine almost, in the early church. So uh, church problems aren't new. So in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing different issues, different questions, different problems. And he's trying to, uh, at this point in chapter 9, he's trying to make a case for why he is acting the way he does differently in different groups of people. So he said, even though I'm a free man with no master, he was a, a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen also. 
I become a slave to all people. <laughs> what are you talking about? Paul, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? Well, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So he said, okay, here's my goal. I'm going to do basically whatever I can out short of sinning <laughs> to bring people to Christ. And so he gives the two illustrations, the two, basically the way that, that he would have divided the world's population, Jewish and non-Jewish. So he says, okay, first with Jews. When I'm with Jews, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, we call the Old Testament, I too lived under the law. So he would follow the rules. So if he was having dinner with a Jewish family, he would only eat what Jews would eat. He wouldn't eat what they would consider unkosher food. He could eat that other food now, uh, but he wouldn't because he didn't want to offend the people he was with. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I don't have to, but I do it because I am thinking about these people I am with. I did this so I could bring the Christ to those who are under the law. So people that are Jewish, they're under law, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to put an artificial barrier between them and I because they get upset because I'm, I'm breaking some of the laws, rules. Even though I don't have to, I'm going to obey those rules. I'm going to be subject to things I don't need to be subject to with this goal, to bring many, many to Christ. So the other group of people, which most of us fit into, is anybody that's not Jewish. Uh, they called them Gentiles. When I'm with Gentiles, and that was Paul's major thrust. He went out into the Greek and Roman world and shared Christ. When I'm with Gentiles, I don't follow these Jewish laws. So I don't, you know, necessarily eat the same things, for example. I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. So basically he's saying, I don't want to make these people believe they have to be Jewish before they become Christian. It's a big part of the New Testament. Uh, no, you don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. It's not an issue to us today, but it was a big issue to them. But he said, I don't ignore, ignore the law of God. There's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament. He doesn't ignore it. But what does he first and foremost obey? What he called the law of Christ. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever thought about this way, but think about it this way. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did by leaving heaven? Ever think about that? Would you ever want to leave heaven once you get there? None of us would ever want to leave. He's in heaven and he leaves heaven. He subjects himself to this world, the laws of this world and living in this world and having to eat and sleep and all those things so that he could bring us to God. So he limited himself. He limited his power, etc. Left heaven to come to here. So Paul's saying, I'm doing whatever. I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to fit in with whatever group with the goal of bringing them to Christ. So that's in Corinthians. Later on uh, in a church in Galatia, he writes a letter. And in the fifth chapter, we called it fifth chapter, he talks about loving one, one another. And then we get to the sixth chapter. And he, he, he uses a specific illustration, and then he uses the term. And here's the situation. We don't talk about this enough. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly. Now, what do we mean by overcome by some sin? We probably think of it as an addiction. We, have, we, we are addicted to something that is sinful. <clears throat> and uh, we, we can't conquer it. We, it's, it's defeated us. 
All right, most of the time we just say, I hope you, you figure that out or, you know, go get some help someplace else. But he's saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> you who are godly, now how do you determine if you're godly? Well, it tells you here, gently and humbly help. So if you can gently and, gently and humbly help that person, you, you and I should. That's our obligation. That's under the law of Christ. Uh, to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, if you can't do it gently, if we're going to be judgmental, then we're not godly enough to do this, would be my interpretation. And hopefully get that person back on the right track, right path. And he gives us a warning, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. My interpretation is this is, don't ever judge anybody because, but by the grace of God, you could be in that situation, or I could be in that situation, or some worse situation. Again, isn't this exactly what Jesus did for us? <laughs> and he's going to explain to it in the, next, in the next verse. Share each other's burdens. We're sharing the burden of this addiction or this sin that somebody else is trapped in. This is the way we obey the law of Christ. We love one another as Christ loved us. And Christ le- loved us enough to bear our sin burden, the huge burden of sin. And he died in our place so we could have a relationship with God that goes on for eternity. So he said, like me, you are to bear one another's burden. You don't have to bear the burden of sin. You just need to bear the burden of whatever they're struggling with. And it doesn't have to be an addiction. Maybe they're struggling financially. Well, I'll help them financially. Maybe they're struggling <clears throat> with parenting. Their kids are driving them crazy. Did you ever see somebody that's just seemed to be in that situation and say, hey, let me have your kids for a couple hours. Give you a break. I think that's a way to share each other's burdens. And a lot of people are between the COVID thing and the political things, a lot of people are really stressed out now. And so maybe you can help that way. Maybe you can give them a word of encouragement, um, whatever it might be. And then uh, I, d- I want to cover the next couple of verses. I just think of something that significant that we need to keep in mind. If you think you're too important to help someone, <laughs> now hopefully you don't, but maybe you think you're too busy to help someone. And what you're doing is more important than helping somebody else. He says, you're only fooling yourself. And, and this translation says it really bluntly. You're just not that important. <laughs> what you're doing is not more important than helping this person, is what he's saying, that, that needs help. So that's pretty in your face. And then he concludes this way. Pay careful attention to your own work. So you get the satisfaction of job well done. So whatever you and I are doing, we should do it well. And I struggle with some of my grandkids that kind of are, haphazard about their schoolwork. I don't expect them to get A's, but they ought to do their best. They're intelligent. A couple of them are here. They're listening to me. (laughs) Uh, But whatever it is, whatever job you have, uh, whatever ministry you're involved in, um, somebody was here trimming the shrubs yesterday. He was doing the best job he can, and I'm sure he had a sense of satisfaction for doing that. And he brings up another point, and we can talk about this some other time. You don't need to compare yourself to someone else, anyone else. Now, I don't know about you, whatever, in your, your little world, but in my world, it's really hard not to do this because all these great preachers out there, and you can watch them online, and watch them on television, and it's really hard not to try and, you know, compare, you know, I'd be a failure comparing myself to them. But I need to be faithful to where I am, doing what I need to do, and just as they are, where they are, and just what you are, where you are. For each of us is responsible for his own conduct. So ultimately, all of us are answerable to God. So, the law of Christ, love one another as I have loved you, should inform our conscience. 
be that filter. So we're looking at politics, we're looking at political candidates and platforms, etc. So whatever issue it is, I first and foremost look at it, is this loving one another as Christ has loved me? And I can tell you right now, there's some things in both parties' platform that, according to my opinion, do not fit that category, that, that, that filter. <clears throat> Consequently, if we are unified as, as, as Jesus followers, then the law of Christ should inform our collective conscience. Not that we're all going to believe the same things or vote the same way. But things should bother us. Things should convict us. Things should disturb us that's going on in our world around us. Enough that it moves us to action. Part of, part of the way we act is by voting for the candidate that maybe supports the view that you, you hold to most importantly. Uh, I got to think about it this way. Sometimes, especially like in our church, you might lean more one way or the other. People on the other side tend to not speak up, I know. They don't want, maybe don't want an argument, uh, whatever reason. <clears throat> and um, sometimes we hesitate to agree with something in the other party's platform because we don't want to get guilt by association. We're familiar with that term? So I got to thinking about that. So I should be able to support some things in this, this platform and some things in that pl platform. I shouldn't be worried about being guilted by association if uh, you know, you're on this side and I support something on this side. Think about it this way. What if Jesus worried about guilt of association by association? He would have never left heaven, would he? <laughs> They would have never came down here to earth and hang out with us. And even hanging out with us on earth, he got accused of being a drunk and a partier and all this kind of stuff. But he didn't worry about guilt of association. But he did live his life loving us as God loves us and he loves us. So I'm going to give you two practical historical illustrations real quickly. And I'll make it quick so you're not into history. But I thought they were fascinating. Talked about this last week. Christianity has greatly influenced Western civilization. And this will be two examples. So once upon a time, it was obvious that slavery was good for society. And we're going to go back a couple hundred years before Jesus. Uh, Greek philo philosophy, Greek culture was predominant then, Greek philosophers. <clears throat> and Aristotle, you've probably heard of him. I think in my Greek class in, at University of Maryland, I had to translate some, <laughs> some of Aristotle. But anyway, he said this. <clears throat> For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, it's expedient or obvious. All right, this is a couple hundred years before Christ. Smartest guys around, Greek philosophers are saying this stuff. For the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection and others for rule. Common belief. So either, either side of that you were on, if you were the ones under subjection, you just took it for granted that was your lot in life. Christianity comes along a couple hundred years later. Church is starting to grow and become dominant. There was a guy by the name of Augustine or Augustine uh, that some of you may have read. And he was a, a bishop in the church. And he wrote this. The condition of slavery is the result of sin. It's not expedient. It's not obvious. It's not the way the world's supposed to operate. The only reason there's slavery 
And the world still hasn't figured this out, have they? Some parts of the world. It's because of sin. So that's one, one a social issue. Another issue is this. Once upon a time, it was obvious that infanticide was good for society. Let me explain this a little bit. Back in Jesus' day, in Roman culture, not Jewish culture, but Roman culture, if you had a, say your first child was a girl and you wanted a boy, or your child was handicapped, um, what you could do legally was take that child outside the city wall or out, out by the edge of the forest or out by the edge of the bank of the river and leave it. You couldn't kill it, but you could leave it up to quote-unquote fate. That was legal. That was normal. That's the way people operated. It didn't give them, they didn't make them feel guilty. Okay? That was just common law of the day. Of the day. <clears throat> Christianity comes along, guess what? When those babies, the Jesus followers, when they saw these babies, what did they do? They took them in. Even if they were poor and didn't have much to eat, they would take these babies in. Why would they do that? Because love, Paul would put it this way, love required it. They couldn't let those babies die. And I also got thinking about this. In, in some ways, we're just like those babies that are let out. They called it exposure. Because we all are separated from God because we've sinned. And the only way we get into God's family is by a term we use what? Adoption. And so God has come and he's offered to adopt everyone. If you're a Jesus follower, you've already been adopted. If you're not, God invites you to be adopted to his family. And that just like the early church taking in those children that were left out uh, for exposure. And just like those children, anybody who comes to Christ is basically helpless, like a newborn babe. That's why it's so important for, the, for us to uh, care for them. We use the word disciple them. Help them to grow. So that's, that's what happened in Jesus' day. Church comes along. Eventually, the Roman Empire adopts Christianity. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So Emperor Constantine declares infanticide a crime in 318. And then later on, about 50 years later, it is a capital offense. Meaning, if you let this child out to die, it's a life set, death sentence for you. So there's certain things, certain moral issues that are transcultural. Um, if you're a Christian in this culture, a Christian in that culture, um, Jesus described us as being salt and light. So this law of Christ, this love should compel us in moral issues to impact our culture rather than our culture impacting us and our society. So the law of Christ, love one another as I have loved you, inform, should inform our conscience, convict us, etc. And then we're going to incorporate knowledge and wisdom with that. See, the interesting thing about the human race is we pass on knowledge. So this generation is the smartest generation that's ever lived because everything else is recorded. The next generation will be even smarter and new discoveries are made. <clears throat> but back then they understood things a little bit differently. I kind of thought about it this way. If a, four, if you, a four-year-old asks you where do babies come from, what are you going to tell them? You're going to give them, pull out the biology book and show them? 
No, 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 because they don't have the capacity for that. Um, eight, ten-year-old, you're probably going to give them a little more explanation. Still probably not going to bring out the biology book, maybe biology book. Teenager, you're definitely going to bring out the biology book, right? You want them to know. So we're at, you know, we're teenagers, we're adults, we, we need to understand. So a little caveat here. Please, 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 don't ever fear knowledge. And I'll use a specific area, science. When science discovers something, we should say, well, that's how God made it work. It's so foolish for the church to be at odds with science. Now, there's some bad science out there. That's what I'm talking about. But knowledge. <clears throat> so... We take the law of Christ, our informed conscience, and the knowledge of the world and the way things work, and that should influence our politics. <clears throat> Another way, think about it this way. A couple thousand years ago, if your child was sick, where, where would you go? You would go, if you're Jewish, you would go to a priest, some other uh, culture, you'd go to some other witch doctor or something. Um, today, though, your child gets sick. Is your first call to me? I don't think anybody. First call, call when their child got sick is me. Been a pastor for 40 years. Why? Because our knowledge has grown, right? And so you realize that the first best place to take your child when it's sick is not to your pastor or preacher because that's not my area of expertise. Now, you will ask me to pray, and I will pray, and we believe God will intervene in that. But you don't come to me for medical advice. Don't come to me for a lot of areas of advice. Fix your car, whatever. Don't come to me. That's not my areas of expertise. So, with this understanding, we have work to do. We are to be salt and light. We are to impact, influence our culture and our society. So a guy... Another guy from history, this is back from the 50s and 60s, uh, Rufus Miles came up with this, this term, and it might be a little confusing at first, but I'll explain it. Where you stand depends upon where you sit. Where you stand depends upon where you sit. Here's what it basically means. Your cultural context, where you sit, determines your perspective on all kinds of issues. Cultural context determines your perspective. <clears throat> And you don't see any conflict. You don't see any conflict between where you were grown, brought up and your beliefs and your perspective. But hopefully we'll be mature enough to see that somebody else grown up somewhere else has a different perspective. So here's a list of some things uh, that impact it. First, where, you were, where, where we live. We live in the north, the south, east, west, city, country. It influences your perspective, right? How you were raised. If you were raised by Democratic parents, you're most likely a Democrat. If you were raised by Republican parents, you're most likely a Republican. Some people change, but the majority of people don't. Where you were educated. Uh, what you were told by either those, your folks, or your people, you, other people, people you educated you. What you've seen, along with what you've experienced, and what you've seen other people experience. That all impacts your view on whatever it might be. And the thing about this list is most of these things you and I don't get to choose, do we? You choose your parents? <laughs> you might choose where you went to school. I don't know. <clears throat> so let's be mature enough. 
let's be spiritual enough to realize this and understand this. That where you stand, whatever issue, depends a lot upon where you sit. So somebody, some black person raised in the inner city, I have no concept of what their perspective is. So we need to be open-minded to understand. Not open-minded to falsehood, but open-minded to understanding. So the law of Christ informs our conscience, and then we incorporate that knowledge. And part of that knowledge is other people's, where other people sat. So let me finish with this. I used this last week. Way forward. First, listen. Listen. So often when we're listening to somebody, we're just listening so we can build an argument, come back to them. No, just listen. Especially the people who don't experience the world the way you do. Oh, that's interesting. You grew up in the inner city. You're black or Hispanic, whatever. Tell me about it. I'd like to understand. I'd like to understand why you feel the way you do, believe the way you do. So what we're really doing is trying to learn. Trying to learn something that we don't know. Would you agree with me there's some things you don't know? Hopefully you would. And why aren't we more students than critics? Everybody's a critic. Why don't we, why don't we students? Why don't we want to learn? I, I made it my goal to be a lifetime learner. I'd spend time every week reading blogs and, and attending seminars and different other things online and stuff because I want to keep learning. Anytime you quit learning, that's dangerous. So another way to say that is that person on the other side of the political aisle, they're not crazy. And I'd say to them, you're not crazy either. And of course, the last L is love. The law of Christ, right? Love. Another way of saying it, the you beside you is more precious to God than your flawed view. And I said that on purpose because your view is flawed. My view is flawed. How do I know that? Because 20, 30 years ago, you believed differently, didn't you? Was it flawed then? Flawed now? Flawed both times. Nobody has a perfect view. So don't ever burn a relationship bridge, especially with somebody who's not a Jesus follower, for some political issue. And I know you said, thinking, Pastor, that's so naive. Well, maybe it is. But once upon a time, 2,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Jesus, a nobody in a country that nobody cared about, gathered together 12 nobodies, eventually was crucified on a cross, like lots of other people. One difference, he came back to life. And he started a movement, the Law of Christ movement, we could call it. And it was caught between the temple, Jewish faith, and the Roman Empire. Where's the temple today? Where's the Roman Empire today? Where is Jesus' kingdom? Still here. Gates of hell. Can't stop it. Take home the same as last week. Disagree politically? That's fine. As long as you love unconditionally and pray for unity. Just one other final word. If you're a Jesus follower, you and I have given up the right. Listen to me. You've given up the right to do anything else. 
than to live by the law of Christ. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that you kind of really simplified things. It's not easy to do, but it's easy to know what to do. <laughs> it's to love like you love us. Love totally, completely, unconditionally. So where that person has what we think, what, they, what they're thinking is crazy. Well, we didn't grow up where they grew up. We didn't have the experiences they had. And God, we thank you that we live in a country where we get to vote. And uh, it's going to be a crazy week, I believe. But uh, you knew this was coming. You saw it coming. And, and your church is still here. And it'll still be here next week, next month, next year. So we ask for wisdom, each of us, as we go about being uh, following the law of Christ as it exemplifies itself in our political and moral view. And as always, we'd like to pray for anyone who's not a Jesus follower today, that they, they would give Jesus that burden, the burden of your sin and guilt and shame and separation from God. Is, it's a gift. Jesus said, I'll give you forgiveness and eternal life, and you give me your sin. Boy, you'll never get a better deal than that. So I pray that you would step across that line. And if you do that, please let us know. Again, you're, you'd be like a newborn babe, helpless, and you need uh, guidance. Father God, we thank you again for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.